This is Jake Sherman, and welcome to a special edition of The Daily Punch, brought to you by Punchbowl News. This morning, we bring you a conversation with House Republican Conference Chair Elise Stefanik of New York. This conversation was recorded at the House Republican Retreat in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. We talk about her goals in electing female Republicans to the House of Representatives. Uh, Republicans have struggled getting women candidates. They've improved a great deal recently. We talk about her goals for the majority and her priorities when it comes to big tech. Take a listen and enjoy. Okay, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, thanks for being here. I great, appreciate it. Great to be here with Punchbowl. Thank you. Punchbowl News. You have to remember the news. Punchbowl News. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about 2022, the majority in 2023. So it's a contrast election, right? I mean, that's clearly this election is going to be much more about them than about you, you hope, Republicans hope. So make the case that you guys are ready for the majority. Well, that's what we're here for at this retreat, developing the commitment to America so we can not only draw a contrast to Democrats, but basically earn the support of the American people about what we're for, what our agenda is, particularly in our first year of a House Republican majority. We've already been hard at work on developing legislative ideas. Each member has brought bills to the various task forces, and it was really productive discussions. We had breakout groups in each of the subject areas taking on big tech, combating a rising communist China, healthy futures jobs in the economy with a laser focus on inflation and the fact that the American people can't afford the result of Democrat failed policies. So uh, I'm optimistic that not only will this be a referendum on the failed far left Democrat uh, agenda and results, frankly, and the crises it's created in America, but people are looking for solutions and they're going to find those solutions in the House Republican uh, commitment. How big of a win do you think this will be in 2022? Listen, I'm optimistic. I'm not going to put a number on it. Come but, on. <laughs> well, my my political team, we are looking in deep races, so deep Democrat territory, because when you have a once-in-a-generation opportunity where you have the first term of a Democrat president, unified Democrat government, unified Democrat government in my home state of New York, yep. you see the frustration of voters, not just Republican voters, but independents and Democrats who are seeing that maybe they voted for the Democrats, but now they see that the policies aren't helping that. And polling shows that voters have buyer's remorse when it comes to their vote in support of Joe Biden. And if the election were held today, Trump would actually beat Joe Biden. Every poll after poll shows that. So I think it's an opportunity for us to go deep. And one example of that is this now open seat, which will be a special election. Myra Flores, who was an EPAC endorsed candidate. So Where I was is that just a week. So this is Texas. This is Vila's seat. He yep. just said he had announced he was going to retire. Yep. It's now going to be an open special election. The current district for the special, so before redistricting, it's a Biden plus four. So this is going to be a top tier special election. And Myra got a lot of press coverage. And we really went out there on a limb looking at a tough seat for us to pick up, particularly in the newly redistricted. It becomes a Biden plus 15. But we think she can beat a Democrat in this environment. And then she becomes an incumbent going into election day. Absolutely. And she's an example of the Hispanic women, the historic number of Hispanic women we have running in Texas. So um, give us a few, what does the first few months of the Republican majority, should you win the majority, what does it look like? Well, we just had a session this morning on oversight. We are going to make sure that all of our members and committees, most importantly, are prepared to conduct proper oversight, holding this administration accountable. And a lot of work goes into that, not only staffing up committees, but uh, you know the document requests, uh, various investigations that we want to pursue. Importantly, on the legislative side, the Parents' Bill of Rights, energy independence. I mean, 
Leader McCarthy has said those are some of the first bills that he will seek to pass, and you're going to find unified Republican support. And I bet we're able to peel off Democrats to vote with us on those issues because they will see, uh, I think, the outcry of the American people this November in their opposition to Democrats. And do you think they, I mean, do you, do you think Democrats have a chance? Let's say gas prices go down, inflation starts to calm down. I mean, five seats is, is a very slim majority for Democrats. I mean, do you think that is, are we all misreading this? Let me put it, let me put it that way. Well, Republicans are not taking this for granted. As I said, we are going to earn this majority, and I'm always someone that tries to run through the tape. We never count our chickens before they hatch, and we want to make sure that every Republican is outworking every Democrat incumbent across the country. So I'm optimistic, but I think the best indicator, Jake, is Democrats know they're going to lose, which is why you have a historic number of retirements, and that has gone back the past few cycles, for example. You've watched when there were cycles where there were a lot of Republicans who were retiring. That's usually an indicator of the you know the feedback they're hearing from constituents this is a very high number of democrats retiring so let's i want to get to to epac and and politics in a minute let's talk about big tech which seems to be um a uh, kind of a through line through everything that i've heard at this retreat from you guys in the leadership and from others i mean what is what is important to you when it comes to big tech and 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 kind of curbing what you guys see as on, you know, an imbalance and influence. I think Democrats have failed when it comes to holding big tech accountable. They have failed when it comes to conducting oversight over big techs, you know, frankly, monopolistic powers on American you society. Are, you, think you think Google's a monopoly and Facebook's a monopoly? And- I think the American people think that and are questioning that. And this is an issue that crosses party lines. So this is not just a Republican issue when you talk to re- registered Republican voters. This is crossing across parents. I talk to parents who are concerned about the technology exposure at a very young age. Uh, even if you talk to social media executives, they don't let their own kids on these platforms. And that really makes you question <laughs> the algorithms behind these platforms. Also, the fentanyl and the drug crises. You know, every member of Congress has a tragic story from their district of a young, you know, who has the world in front of them, a young high school student or maybe college student who makes a purchase off of a TikTok or somewhere on Instagram, and it's laced with fentanyl. I mean, these are tragic, tragic stories, and parents are concerned, and it's not a partisan issue. So, Kathy McMorris-Rogers has been doing a great job leading the Big Tech Task Force. And I will tell you, as the House Republican Conference Chair, I've been hosting these listening sessions before the retreat. With members. With members. Open to all members. Big Tech was the most well-attended with the most member engagement, which I think shows you the interest at the members level that they're hearing from their constituents. I get the sense, just as a side note, um, I was just in San Francisco and I was doing a bunch of meetings with tech folks. Um, I don't think they have any idea the the level of distrust in the Republican conference with tech. I mean, I just think they have no they have no sense of how deep this runs and how widespread it is. It's to me, it's it's shocking that it's it's surprising. I'll leave it at that. I mean, I, I I'm not sure if you talk to people in tech, and I just I feel like they are um, they're not really 
with it when it comes to how how deep and widespread this is. And it's not, again, just the Republican conference. This no, is I mean, the Democrats American are, people. And also Democrats are moving their own legislation to curb the right. influence of big tech, too. This is the American people who are frustrated. They're frustrated for their safety and security of their kids. They're frustrated over privacy issues and, you know, their own personal data being shared without their knowledge. Uh, they are questioning the power of big tech companies to collude with mainstream medium to basically black out stories like they did with the Hunter Biden laptop story prior to the 2020 election. Now the New York Times, of course, is reporting that that Hunter Biden's laptop is real. There are serious concerns from all parts of political ideologies of American people. So I think Republicans, we are going to lean in on that issue. And it's, you know, it's not only about making sure that we have constitutional and American freedoms, but it's also safety and security. But you must, and just one more question on this, because I'm legitimately uh, curious. I talked to McMorris Rogers uh, about this this week. She, do you think there is a role for censorship on these platforms, whether it's stuff on, you know, crazy information on COVID or just just blatantly false stuff? I mean, where, where do you fall on that? So I fall on that because we dealt with this on the House Intel Committee in some of the open hearings. When it is a foreign adversary like a China or like a Russia. Propaganda, yes, when it's propaganda from a foreign adversary, I do think it is important for national security purposes, not allowing foreign adversaries to purchase, you know, um, information to try to sway elections. That's really important. But we're talking talking about them censoring media outlets, domestic American media outlets, and completely taking them out of the ether. So you think that they is shouldn't un-American. be in the business of, of No, they shouldn't be in the business of fact-checking. They shouldn't be in the business of deciding what's misinformation or what's disinformation, because what we tend to see is the misinformation um, oftentimes is fact-based. And we saw that as we do a look back at COVID, uh, some of the science that they refuse to publish, we now know, now that we have further time away from it, that, you know, you should hear from different scientists. You should hear from different medical doctors. People as a patient, and I've gone through this with my members of my family, you always go for a second opinion. And it's okay to have a second opinion to weigh that. And I think the American people are smart. They can, they can see through this. And it's something that I hear, you know, from all types of voters in my district. So let's talk about EPAC. You, well, let, actually, let's just do it this way. Tell me what e, tell us what EPAC is and explain what you're doing. Sure. EPAC is my leadership pack that is focused on electing more Republican women. Uh, my mission after the 2018 election, where we went down to 13 Republican women in the House, a historically low yeah, number. Dark time for that. The time. same as it was the decade I was born in the 1980s. Um, we made it my mission to recruit women early to support them financially, not just because they're women candidates, but because they're the strongest candidates in these uh, districts who had what it takes to win primary and general elections. And the model worked. It was metrics-based. They had to raise a certain amount of money to qualify for it and then go through a vetting process with me. We went from- So you interview all these folks? Oh yeah, I get to know them. I mean, I help mentor them through the races. This is not just an endorsement and then we leave. We're bundling. We've bundled $3 million of using my digital uh, online list that I developed during impeachment part one. Uh, we're really using that to pay it forward and help invest in these candidates. How big is that candidates. list? It must be gigantic. It's large. It's probably one of the largest in the conference uh, of elected <laughs> uh-huh. Republicans. But it's an example of how you can help other people grow their list. Our investment in Ashley Hinson, in Young Kim, in Michelle Steele. These are real rising stars that are going to be around and important voices for a long time that are reshaping the Republican Party. So we went from 13 to 33, totally defied expectations. That's 33. That, oh, 
13 to 33 in the conference, right? Republican women defied expectations. Yep. Uh, that was far beyond anyone thought we could do. I think we're going to get over 50. So to have that much of an increase in just two cycles, it is a model that works. And I'm grateful that both Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise, when I announced this, it created, you know, some feathers were ruffled. They were all in. And to the NRCC's credit, they have been invested in this model and they're building on this model. We will win this majority on the model of the investment that we've made. And I'm very proud of that. So women are going to lead the way to fire Nancy Pelosi. So when you say feathers were ruffled, it's because the NRCC wants more control, obviously, of every of the political apparatus. Well, they, they learned that it was a model that worked. And I'm grateful for Tom Emmer's support. Uh, and you'll also, see that- Also, it makes more sense for- a, wo- a young woman to be recruiting and helping young women candidates, or not even young women, but women, female candidates across the country. Yeah, Tom Emmer has done a great job, and they are making this a huge winning selling point. Uh, the fact that we're going to have the highest number of women ever filed to run for Congress this cycle. Uh, the fact that we have the highest number of minorities ever filed to run as Republicans this cycle. We also have a very high number of veterans who are running this cycle. So this, those were the types of candidates that flipped all of the seats in uh, the last election in 2020. So it's been a real partnership with the NRCC, and I'm glad that um, we are working as one team heading into the election. Presumably you, do you like, you must coordinate with them when you when you endorse? Is that how it works? Or do you give them a heads up? Yeah. I mean, in some races, we are, in a lot of races, we're out there pre-primary, and we always give a heads up, and we and sometimes they'll say there are candidates that they hear about that they bring to us and say, hey, can you talk to this candidate? Can you help this candidate strengthen their campaign? Because they want the best candidate, too. And that's really the mission of EPAC is we're not just endorsing candidates because they're women. We want the best candidate. So it's a team effort. The NRCC does not play in primaries, but we're I do in certain primaries. Yeah, I, well, I, there's a lot of people who think the NRCC should play in primaries. Um because typically you end up with better candidates if you help choose the candidates that you want. I mean, and that's clearly your theory too. I'm still a believer that voters are the ultimate deciders of who they want to send, you know, on the ballot in November. But in if you, but people like you could help them hone their message and help them with money. We and help, help with the candidate development, which yeah. having been a first time candidate myself, you know, as a young 29 year old and looking back, you know, what I know now, the naivete actually, I think helped me a little bit when I was campaigning the first time, but it can be a very lonely process as a candidate out there driving around your district. So to have someone to talk to, to have an organization to say, here's what's important, here's not what's important, I think that's very beneficial. So one last question. Um, What are you going to do next, Congress? And you you can't say you don't know. These are the rules of this question. You can't say you don't know. Uh, That's the only rule. You have to give an answer. So I'm not (laughs) engaging in that discussion. I'm a pretty disciplined person, as as you know, Jake. And... (laughs) I, had you asked me a year and a half ago, I would not have said I'm conference chair. I right. mean, this is about one year since the beginning of the end of the tenure of my predecessor's conference position. So I didn't imagine myself in this job. My focus is making sure that we continue this message discipline, which has never been stronger. The proof is in the polling, reorienting all of our members to talk about issues that impact the American people, inflation, the crime crisis, gas prices. That matters, and not these shiny objects and not... Uh, um, you know, some of the divisions that my predecessor likes to highlight that were not reflective of the American people or our voters. Or your conference, for that matter. Or the conference. So uh, I am really focused on that. And we have to win a majority first before we can start measuring drapes. Cool. Thank you. Thank you.